I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter, and dance music is not a specific musical genre. <laughs> and I'm just a director of the Fifth Element, where I highlight different hip hop which is knowledge and don't argue about anything, anything else in the world. <laughs> Donna, holy fat bags of weed, ravioli pasta, bodyguard the killer B songs like Kevin Costner, infrared all inside your bumba rasta. Capped on a pimp the derby like the mobster. Stick with it. Some inconsistency with Capadonna, don't we? Get some fire, <laughs> and then we get some not so fire. We'll get to it though. We'll talk about it. I think this is one of the one of those retrospectives where I'm way more interested, just interested in the story than talking about the music itself. Which I, I feel like I'm more about the music most of the time when it comes to retrospectives and actually listening to people. But now. After his entire week, I just I I I'm I'm just into the story more than anything. Hi Ben, how's your week been? <laughs> and what have you been listening to this week? Every week, Charlie gets to pull these bad boys out. Just watch him here, folks. I don't know if he's going to keep it on for the whole ten minutes that I go through this album, but uh, he's certainly going to get some Z's in. We're going to talk about. Drake's honestly never mind, which is why Charlie's reached for the the sleep goggles. He's off. He's out now, so we don't have to worry about him. But I got an, I got a DM from someone, and I'll tag them in the YouTube video because I told them I would. They told me that this album feels like twelve versions of Passion Fruit Drake recorded before he perfected the formula, and I just can't get that out of my head because the production is such a weird mix with Drake's pained vocals over the top. Like his singing voice has never been his strong suit. And whilst it's passable and successfully gets his point across, it's not world-ending. You know, I was super concerned he'd go for a weekend after-hours rip-off, uh, the posty kind of route that he did on the back half of his last record. But instead, we get this kind of like dancey, synth-poppy, dance-hauly kind of project. And honestly, the only instrumental on here that does not hit is Liability, which is by far one of the most unlistenable songs Drake has ever dropped. I feel like he googled Drake singing parody and just found some random YouTube video with four views and he used that. I don't understand what he was doing with his vocals. It was a terrible song. But instrumentally, this album is very interesting. It's very stripped back. Often we get just Drake over vocals of, you know, sorry, Drake's vocals over the top of a bass line or a simple synth riff and an 808. Like, that's it. You know, a keeper or sticky are perfect examples of this. And there's definitely some risks. I'm not saying there isn't. Currents with that horrible, horrible bedhead squeak is disgusting. I think that was Currents. Whatever that track with the bedhead squeak, that's terrible. There's no way in the world an artist with Drake's stature should be seen on a beat like that. But to be honest, that moment really only stands out because of how understated the rest of the album is. He hasn't given in to the abhorrent tropical house trend that populates the mainstream of music like this, like a plague of locusts. I mean, if you're listening to pop music that's dance music, dance pop, which is a genre, dance pop is a genre, dance is not a genre, dance pop's a genre, all you're going to hear is tropical house every week. Massive is such a beautifully insistent electronic beat that explodes into life. Um... It feels like the last train home after a night of chewing your cheeks off. Like it just really just like 
you know, there's a second wind in that song. Flights Booked is the Sunday session after the Saturday night out, and that bleeds into some real Kavinsky-like cold-hearted electronica on Overdrive and Tie that binds that whole Nightcall kind of era and that Nightcall fucking influence. And the dancehall warmth of down, Downhill and Sticky is tempered with these stretches of barren, ice-cold beats. Like, it's a really beautiful, weird mix. And Drake's lyrical content is intense as fuck, and I fucking love it, man. On CLB, he slipped way too far into Money Controls Everything, even People territory. His bars often strayed way over the line of acceptable behavior. They kind of walled him off from the rest of society, you know. He spoke about mind states and emotional spaces that only the elite of the elite have their luxury of occupying. On Honestly Never Mind, he's really back in this singing, emotional relationship bag, traipsing his few twisted love stories, desperate pleas to spurn partners, and genuine emotional warmth at times. When I first listened to the album, I was super, super jaded, super jaded. I expected we were going to get the Drake who says things like, call me daddy, I taught you things a father can't teach, which is such a Drakeism. It's such a tired trope Drakeism. But instead, we get a meek but open persona, you know, willing to accept fault and totally unafraid of vulnerability. And when I say meek, I don't that don't mean that as a criticism, you know. In order to be insecure and vulnerable, you do have to have that that ability to to tap into that side of yourself. You know, falling back kind of opens the record up for me, with Drake dropping us straight into uncharted territory for him, which is accountability. What follows is like the push and pull of emotional life when you're prone to toxic behavior but desperate to reverse the trend. On Texco Green, he says, if I come around you, can I be myself? Why should I fake it anymore? And I say this wholeheartedly for the first time in about eight years. Drake sounds like connective like i feel like people are going to connect to this and i can only say that because i've lived through a huge portion of what he's singing about on this record heartbreak betrayal deception lies emissions emotional blackmail but overall i felt his emotion i felt his passion and his energy and overdrive i think is the emotional centerpiece of the album with drake spouting this strain of consciousness related to his emotional bearings confused and hurt but unable to hold back Uh, My heart is racing. I cannot slow down and it's bothering me. How forward of me would it tell you to forward to me? You should be right here anyways. Your energy is calling for me. There's deeper places we can go. Don't have to just party with me. I hope we can make it. And you know what the wild thing about it is? All the elements by themselves look like they might make for the best Drake album since Take Care. It kind of might be. Like I like More Life more. I like If You're Reading This more so far. But I think I need time to sit with this album. But the problem is... I can't really sit with this album because I'll probably not return to it very often because I'm past that place. This album is describing emotional states I was in not that long ago, but time-wise that is, but really emotionally fucking aeons ago. Like for example, I just spent the weekend with my beautiful partner talking about some very intense, very deep things. No toxicity, no power moves, no games, just open, honest communication between two people who love each other and will move heaven and earth for each other. And I'm not in that space anymore. You know, I probably spent 18 years of my life relating to what Drake has said on this album. But in the past six months have been the exact opposite. Like safety, comfort, warmth, protection, love, passion. You know, you can have love and be passionate without the fire and the spice and the anger and the vitriol and the games and the toxicity. And I didn't know you could until this relationship. But now that I know, I kind of hope that Drake and anyone else in those places can find what I've found. And this is not a criticism at all. I think this album is brilliant. This is the album I knew Drake could make, although to be fair, I never thought it would sound like this. 
because I think this was a risk in the right direction. You know, this album will be a soothing balm to so many people. It will hit so many people in the exact right place. People who are just tired of the runaround, the exasperation of dating broken people whilst being broken yourself. People who really need it. I don't need it anymore. I wish I had it when I did. But um, yeah, man, I, I, I think this is a great album. I think it's not going to connect with everyone, but the people it will connect with is going to hit hard for. Uh, I'll quickly run through Logic, Vinyl Days, uh, best produced album of the <sighs> year. Yeah, Charlie. Charlie got a good little nap in, a little power nap in there. I should talk oh, that was good. This is good for good for Charlie's health when no, I talk about Drake and Future. Where we at? No, uh, Logic, Vinyl Days, well produced. Oh, Logic yes. is just as annoying and interminable as always. I was uh, telling someone the other day about the whole 1-800, I kill the pussy, who can relate? And um, yeah, they threw up in their mouth a little bit. And I, it will always exist. Every time he opens his mouth, I'll hear that line and I will disengage. And Kevin Gates dropped a new album. It's good. There, you know, someone said to me, I'll, I'll listen to it, but how much is really, really graphic sexual bars? And I said, there's definitely some graphic sexual bars. It's not as much as usual from Kevin Gates. But if you're not ready for that, if you've not got your splash guard on, and don't listen to the sound because uh, it's some, yeah, I know that face you're making, that's the exact same face you make when you hear a Kevin Gates bar about sex. It's like, what the fuck? But uh, yeah, it's all right. It's all right. I want to listen to West Side Boogie next week. A lot of people have been asking me to review West Side Boogie. Yes. I'll listen to it next week. But that was me, Charlie. What about yourself? Um, so just to set the record straight, um, talk to all that, just to say um, it's mid. And uh, all that Karen Harris land, I feel like should go out the window now. Uh, no! Uh, no. You'll find a way. <laughs> I feel, I feel no, like... No, I feel no, 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 no. You're talking... No, no, no. Okay, now we're getting into the dance music thing. Calvin Harris makes dance music. Drake makes dance music. Completely different genres, though. Completely different. I hope you were leading me down that path because I just jumped out the fucking window and broke my legs. But, like, yes, man. No, come on now. Relax. I, I, thought, I thought dance wasn't a genre. But, um... Anyway, and uh, I did have other thoughts, but yeah. Um, J Words, female producer alert. J Words, hey. uh, Dance Pack Volume 3. Um, so if you guys want to hear some, you know, just some some good, you know, dance music. Um, yeah, it's three tracks, um, solid. Um, she does, she has this very esoteric pattern um, where the pattern kind of, the beat pattern kind of goes all over the place, but. I think once you get a hang of it, um, it's, it's it, 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 it can be nice. Um, I'd say I, f- I prefer like two of the two of the three tracks. The last one kind of uh, uh, dissipated for me, but um, yeah, the first the first two are pretty decent. So um, you know, I'm always into J words and always trying to you know freshen the palette on that front. Uh, Yaya Bay, uh, remember your North Star. This is just superb. Um, little bit of R and B right here. Uh, very, very. Uh, kind of like you're high and you just need some soft bass and a soft voice and she produces that in spades um there is a there is kind of like a more um a jumpy number I'll, I'll call it um with uh, i think it's called pour up um if i remember correctly um but past that um yeah it kind of just um it's just smooth calm uh r&b um really nice you know just um lyrical content as well um but yeah it's 18 tracks but it's only 34 minutes so you know the whole thing goes like a dream 
um, you know, and you get a lot of vignettes as well. Um, so, yeah, man, it's great. It's it's wonderful. It's a wonderful listen, definitely. Uh, give it a spin. Uh, what's next? Uh, West Side Boogie. Uh, more black superheroes. Um, so I remember thinking the his first album was just fine. You know what I mean? I wasn't really um, putting it on my album list or anything like that. And to be honest, I kind of feel... I think it's better. It's definitely better than the first album. Um, more memorable tracks for me personally. Um, good features. Uh, you know, Snoop on Windows Down. Um, I liked uh, Smino and Tizo Touchdown on Can't Get Over You. Um, <laughs> soldier boy. Um, but yeah, I with um, Shelly, FKA Dram, which I'm wondering, like, when do you remove the FKA Dram bit? Like, when you just... I, I just... Uh, yeah, it's just there. Always there. I'm just like... You could be Shelly now. It's fine. If I was, if, if you're going to put Dram still in the name, then why'd you change your name? You know, just, I don't know, just a thought. Um, but yeah, you know, Anthony War, um, uh, uh, Low SMH2, like that track, Prideful 2, um, and the um, aforementioned uh, features as well. I think for me, the thing I, I probably, I will continue listening to Westside Boogie, but I think the issue um, for me overall is just a voice. Um, it's just, it just, it's a it's a little it's a, it 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 grinds on my ears a little bit where you know I'll listen to it I'll appreciate it but I'm not gonna I probably won't put stuff in reg rotation and it just is what it is on that front you know what I mean sometimes you know a nice voice just doesn't hit for you for whatever reason and uh, I think West Side Boogie's just one of those where he will he will always be on the outskirts for me but I'll still give it a spin if I if I you know one or two times uh, aforementioned Snoop Dogg. Um, Back at it again uh, in a space of four weeks with uh, presenting uh, Death Row Summer 2022, uh, The Dog Pound, Eastsiders, October London, Raphael Sadiq, Miguel, Jane Hancock, Uncle Chuck, uh, 84 Faces, which I've uh, which I've been introduced by thanks to Uncle Snoop. So shout out to Uncle Snoop. I love 84 Faces now. Um and just a ton more. This is just really good. It kind of, it kind of, it comes off as um I don't know if you guys remember dinner party dessert with a uh, Kamasi, uh, Ninth Wonder, Robert Glasper, and Ter- Terrace Martin. Um and uh, I mean I mean the dessert one specifically because it has Snoop Dogg on one of the tracks. I think it was Sleepless Nights if I remember at the end of it where he kind of comes in as kind of like a radio host. I think he does it throughout the album actually, and uh, he has just radio. Uh, radio host vibe going on. This is basically what this is. Um, you know, he he starts it off with a couple of you know a couple of verses here and there, but um, once you really get into the album, he's just basically just introducing artists and they're just going for it. Um, so yeah, man's ma- mad man's world with Jane Hancock, absolutely amazing. World go round with Uncle Chuck, amazing. Whoopty whoop with the dog pound is just oh. Oh, perfect. Just so great. Just just peak fucking West Coast. Love it. Uh real 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 throwback that particular track. So yeah, that 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 free track stretch, wonderful. Um but the rest of the album is just super solid. And <laughs> and it just keeps getting better, ladies and gentlemen. The fact that Snoop has dropped decent projects of decent vibes, of different vibes as well, and variety in twenty twenty two. Gotta fucking love it. And lastly, Logic Vinyl Days. I'm surprised you even listened to this, Ben. Um, did you listen to No Pressure? I, I enjoyed No Pressure. Um, didn't enjoy this as much. Um, I will say, uh, 
<laughs> the Kendrick allegations, um, for those that don't know, there's a lot of people that think um, Logic um, just jacks from whatever Kendrick does in that recent time. And, you know, there's 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 there's, there's, there's evidence uh, to give in that court of public opinion, um, for sure. Um, I won't count this one as it, but, um, you know, for the sake of time, and I did see a clip uh, with him and Fantano saying that he recorded this in 12 days. Um, so... I'm going to assume he didn't know that Kendrick was also going to say the F slur um, on his album. But fuck, what a what a horrible connection. What a horrible connection to have. <laughs> I, sh- I don't. I, I, I don't. I, I, I honestly don't. I know what he's trying to do, but it, it never comes off as well. It never comes off well. I get why you're doing it, but there's no need to do it. It's the same with Arnie Diaries. This is, you know, I get the message, but you don't need to do it. It doesn't need to be said. Um, I'm not here for the for majority of the interludes. I find them just tedious um, and not exactly that hilarious. Um, like, you know, Michael Rappaport just shitting on him. Eh. Um, you know, Fantano talking at near the end. I'm just like, eh, just get to the music, get to the music. Um, but uh, when it gets to the music, most of the time, I'm re- I'm very impressed. Um, uh, Quasi uh, do- enjoy it. Um, in my lifetime with Action Bronson, really good. Um, I think it, the, this album gets better as it goes along. Therapy music with Russ, really enjoyed. Uh, Breath control, Wiz. Um, uh, Ten years of Royce, Portal One, Rizza. Uh Introducing Nezi, love this because it literally introduced Nezi uh, Momodu to me. And I immediately followed her because she fucking cleans up on that on that track. Absolutely heated track, top track. Uh, Orville with Blue uh, uh, Blue and Light Exile and Like as well. Um, you know, can't miss. AZ on Carnival, can't miss. Vinyl Days DJ Premier, can't miss. And uh, I guess I love it with the game, does miss for me. And um, Sayonara is just another um absurdly long um just meditation for logic fans that just like hearing his voice and i instead just read it off read the thing uh, I, I just read i just read genius cuz i'm not i i i gathered what it was going to be half, like about 3 minutes in i'm just like all oh, right he's just going to be talking for fucking 8 minutes okay cool i'm just going to read it on genius and see what he says on that because no chance in hell i'm listening to 10 minutes of him just talking about Def Jam, of people who I've never met, or no, probably never will meet. I'm good on that. Steez, thank you very much. And with that said, we shall hop into our topic for this episode. And we're continuing our Book of Wu series, Chapter 6, uh, with Capadonna. Um, just, just there. <laughs> just there for people to um, put at the end of their rankings, because... Let's be real, guys. I don't think you guys listen to Cap's uh, solo discography and you just go by, I don't know, maybe maybe what he produced on Ice Cream or Ice Water um, and Triumph, and that's about it. I strongly believe that's what most of you are about. I know so. I believe so because I was one of those people. Um, but we have uh, shared duties this uh, on on listening to solo discography this uh, this week. We had half each, um, some uh, with objectively some of the worst artwork um, of any uh, album. Um, I happen to get the best one. By the best, I mean the worst. 
Um, but uh, yeah, we we split duties this week. Um, so Ben listened to seven, I listened to seven, and uh, yeah, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But for now, let's get to the <laughs> probably the, the more interesting bit. Uh, the 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 little known story of Capadonna. So where do you want to begin, Ben? The story is interesting. So off rip, I bet Charlie, you cannot guess what Capadonna stands for because every letter stands for a word. <laughs> oh fuck off! Are you serious? It's a consider fucking, all an, an, an poor acronym. people. No, it's consider all poor people acceptable. Don't oppress nor neglect anyone. Sorry, it's not. I'm that. That's that's gonna leave my brain as soon as this episode finishes. I'm sorry. There is, it's just no, 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 it's too long. That's too, no, acronyms longer than five words should not exist. I'm sorry. It's just, Mm. it's not, it's not memorable when you have five. More than five, come on, take it to piss at that point. Anyway. It's like an essay. I did not know that. I did not, it is. I did not know that. And it it sounds like a fucking quiz question, bruv. I'm sorry. Like, it's just, I'm going to be asked that someday and I'm just going to be like, fuck. I just know it. I just know someone's going to quiz me on it one day. I'm just going to like. I'm just going to like. I wish I remembered, but but now. So Cap Capadonna. I wrote this. I wrote this at the start. I said Capadonna may be most one of the most underrated MCs in hip hop history. Mm-mm. What I really meant was Capadonna's story and his influence is probably one of the most underrated stories in hip hop history because Cap- the only yeah. time I. <laughs> The only time I really hear people giving him credit that I believe he deserves is in Wu-Tang interviews when individual members say he mentored them or he was like the bigger brother or the older cousin. You know, Meth called him the best rapper he knew in the 80s and actually says if Cap hadn't been locked up, Meth would never have been in Wu-Tang. That's what Method Man said. Raycon said that Cap had always always had the best of everything. RZA himself said Capadonna had the greatest influence over the group of anyone more so than even himself that the greatest influence on wu-tang they used to call him the staten island slick rick because of his style he was a mentor to you god you god credits him heavily for his own style and success and in interviews he's calm he's humble he's considered and his story is really fascinating when you hear it you'll know that he was always a member of wu and yet it's been debated for decades is capadonna really an official member when did he become a member who exactly is he so this is the story of that. At age seven, Cap and his five siblings moved to Brooklyn, uh, sorry, from Brooklyn to Staten Island because Capadonna burned their house down playing with matches. That's a true story. He said he was playing with matches under the couch and he burnt the house down. So he got to Staten Island and he said before it had even been developed into a project, he said they were one of the first families to move into the area. But even back then, hip-hop culture was spreading vibrantly. Cap said he was infected with the energy, graffiti, fashion, DJing, and MCing, all playing an equal role in his upbringing. He told Mano on, and this is a side note, I did not know Mano had a podcast, and I did not know that it was fucking great. Uh, shout out Mano on that. So Cap told Mano he was right at the genesis of graffiti in this in his area. He was taking magic markers and swapping the ink out, and they were all tagging their names. Most speak also of Cap's fashion sense from back then, and he told Passion of the Wise this. He said, I had the clothes, plus I had the big jewelry. Even when I was young, I was doing that. I was wearing slacks. I didn't wear jeans until I was about 18 years old. I dressed like a gentleman, uh, dress shirts, and I wore stuff like that to school. I took a briefcase to high school instead of a school bag. Book bags were disgusting to me. I didn't want to have anything on my back. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm so fly. I've got to put my books in this. So, you know, shoes without laces, glasses without lenses, you know, Cap was forward thinking in these areas. He was at the genesis of this. 
He told Maino he was incredibly well-traveled, and this endeared him to the other members. He would regularly move between Queens, Brooklyn, Staten Island, and Albany, and this gave him a perspective that not many people around him had. It, it made him a source of knowledge. His connection to Wu is intrinsic. He said to Maino, and I assume he meant this more in a metaphoric rather than a literal sense, he said that they all went to preschool together, their mums knew each other, they grew up together, they existed as teenagers together, shared food, shared thoughts, shared ideas and concepts and dreams. I want you to think of Cappadonna as Rizza before Rizza. Rizza existed, of course, but Cap's influence was so early, but by the time Rizza was trying to form the group, Cap was actually locked up and not involved at all. Cap was the one that was kind of bringing them together, but in a very different way, and I'll get into that in a second. But every Wu member has a Cap story. You know, Ghostface and Cap were interviewed together in 96, and Capadonna told Mino he was around Ray and Ghost before there was any beef between them, that he just saw this competitive edge between them. Ghost felt compelled to give Capadonna an opportunity to spit on Iron Man because of how strong he was on Raekwon's ice cream. But Cap's connection to Inspector Deck is probably the most powerful of any of the Wu members. He told People's Party... Inspector Deck, that was my brother. He came to build with me. He used to come to my house all the time. I taught Deck how to sew, how to straight leg his jeans, turn them inside out. We were locked up together in Brooklyn House. So that kind of bleeds into what happened with Cap prior to Wu-Tang because hustling is a huge part of his early life and it's why it took him so long to be initiated into the, the Wu-Tang Clan officially. He's pretty tight-lipped on this part of his life and I will respect that, of course. But Talib Kweli kind of did his best DJ Vlad impression and just asked Cap straight up what he was locked up for and uh, for the first Wu-Tang album. And Cap simply said he was selling narcotics. But Cap has told other interviewers he tried to carry himself with a certain reserved nature when he was hustling. He actually said on People's Party he didn't want the older heads in the hood seeing him running up to cars and jumping through hoops for fiends. So he tried to think of himself as a businessman. But he said being locked up changed all of that. Um, and I think it was either it was either Maino or Kwali. I think it might have been Maino. He said being incarcerated is not a chance to become a better criminal. It's a chance to take stock, to chart a different path. And he said being locked away from his friends and family was so difficult that he resolved himself to create a different life for himself. But all throughout the 80s, while he was engaging in these activities, he was rapping. You know, unlike Method Man and ODB, for example, he didn't seem to believe it was anything more than a hobby. In fact, he explicitly called rap a hobby for him and the people around him. But he was still infected. He said uh, Funky G, Quince and Punchy, the Bliff Brothers, Phase 3, Scotty Waddy, Sugar Hell Gang, of course. He said uh, every aspect of hip-hop was the language of the oppressed. And when he was locked up and Wu started oh, to blow... He was rapping constantly, winning battles. Uh, he even said he rinsed Method Man in battles pre-jail. Um, and that's why he said that people looked up to him because he was he was beating them in battles early. Now, the timeline is a little shaky because Cappadonna is super low-key with details, but it appears as though he missed the entire formation of Wu. He said explicitly, I missed the entire formation of the Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, he said he made it out just in time to appear in the Protect Your Neck video, but then he got locked up again for a parole violation and missed the glow up of that entire first album. But more so than anyone outside of RZA, Capadonna formed the Wu. Not in the same way, but Cap said this of RZA to People's Party. He said, RZA's influence on me, he was very knowledgeable. He knew a lot of science and math. He was a great leader. 
He kept a lot of brothers around him, whatever he was doing, fashion, music, building. They used to all meet up at this place called the shelter near the ferry. And we've heard about the shelter. We heard about it in the ODB episode, the Method Man episode. We heard about the ferry, the Staten Island Ferry. You know, this is where people used to just have impromptu concerts. And this is where a lot of the Wu-Tang members like cut their teeth on live performance. And I'll continue with what Cap says. It was wild over there at the ferry. It was the bus depot. All the projects I was getting out to school used to meet there and be there building. I was attracted to the style and the fashion. Um, it wasn't just RZA. RZA, Ghost, Ray always seen us. Uh, we took that all the way into the rap arena from renting cars to how we eat. So the way that I wanted to, to, to think about it is Cap led by example. People gravitated towards him because he was knowledgeable and he was calm. RZA was way more overt with his string pulling. You know, RZA like pulled people in to be around him and he identified talent and he's like, you're super talented, come over here and, you know, work with this person. Cap didn't pull strings. He had people in his orbit because they wanted to learn from him to soak up his experience and he was absolutely willing and able to share it. You know, he told People's Party, and this was in relation to Method Man, but it can easily be applied to every Wu member who knew him early. He said, we came up from a very young age. We shared most of our teenage life together. Rap was something that was fundamental. It was one of our hobbies. We ate the same food. We shared the same thoughts. I may have been advanced at the time. I dared to go out, to venture out, to be creative. I think that they took a look into that and they didn't mind learning from me at the time. So we just kind of bounced a lot of energy off each other. He hung around me a lot and this is meth. Um, so I can see how some of my influence rubbed off in him. And in RZA's own words, the most influential Wu-Tang member aside from RZA. What do you think about that, Charlie? I think... Um it's fascinating being having a person that has so much connective tissue to the people around you and you kind of you can't you can't possibly deep it at the at that time right um but seeing people you know form a group uh while you're not while you're not there and then you just and then <laughs> you just you just you just come in just after the formation of it and you're just like wow i know all of you <laughs> you know what i mean it's just it's uh it must it, it must be i think it's one of those things where um you have you, you have a that you can't you can't put a price on that you know what i mean you, you can't put a price on just knowing the right people at that point and they just all happen to fuck with each other at some uh, a certain point, and they form a group, and it happens to just be one of the greatest groups in music history. And yeah, man, it's a, it's it's a, it's outstanding to think about um, of just being that person. Um, of you know, we obviously we we don't logically see him as the um, as the as the son. Right as the uh, as as the sun that <laughs> everyone orbits, um, but instead you can think of it. I'm trying to think of it like a metaphor, or whatever, but I can't on the spot. But yeah, it is interesting just coming, trying to see it from his shoes of just like, damn, like I I had a hand in I had a hand in that, and you know, uh, I I mean, it's a confirmation that he's a good he's a good uh, tasting character, I guess, or a good tasting. Uh, just people he fucks with, I guess, because um, yeah, it must be. Um, I mean, I, in in the words of Chris, in the words of Chris Rock, um, paraphrasing, I don't have eight friends now, um, so you know, <laughs> it, must, it must have done something right. 
Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, we'll talk about like joining the Wu. Uh, so Gap gets out of prison. This is after the debut album, by the way, completely after this. Yep. Uh, he, yep. he gets out of prison and he becomes a security guard. And he's walking to projects and he said they didn't even give him a little buggy to ride around on. He told Mino that he always had a strong work ethic and he felt it was important for people around him to see him working, see him swallow his pride and leave hustling and take a regular job to hopefully motivate others to do the same. And he actually said he was quite successful in this. He said that um, people took jobs due to his direct influence. Now, Raekwon came and found him in the projects one day and just asked him to hop on ice cream. And that's where it all begins. You know, by this stage, Wu-Tang Clan are worldwide superstars. Debut album is out, selling like crazy. Takao has come out. Uh, Return to the 36 Chambers mm-hmm. is about to drop and absolutely explode. Ray is about to drop a game-changing album, one of the greatest pieces of hip-hop ever recorded. And before Meth is even on this track, Ice Cream, Ray seeks out Capadonna, and this will be the very first time we hear Cap on a Woo song. He told Mayno this. He says, I came in on Ice Cream. That was my intro. Remember, that was Ray's freshman album. Being that was his freshman album, again, that's honorable just to bring me in. I didn't even know what 16 bars was. I spat that right there on the spot. Now, the word honorable comes up a lot. Cap definitely didn't feel entitled to being in Woo. Um, entitled to being on anyone's record. What I'm learning from these members you may call second string, I guess. You, God, Master Killer, Cappadonna. Uh, and you may call them that, but I you know, I think that they were never precious or upset. They were truly humble individuals. You know, everyone yaps about how humble J. Cole is, right? And I have to assume you've never watched a Cappadonna interview because there's no comparison. From an artist who RZA claimed had the biggest influence on the whole group, to Cap saying it's an honor to appear on a Woo project. There's no entitlement there. There's no like, I deserve to be in this group. I deserve to be on. It's just, he was just happy to be involved. And Ice Cream naturally indeed into everyone. He gets that all important third verse. He fucking skates. And it's a wild introduction. You know, it's so wild that it earned him a 60K production deal with RZA. Something that you would have imagined he would already have been offered. But he hadn't been. RZA is RZA. So Cap was so foreign to this world Wu-Tang had already entered that he actually took his check to a bank and tried to cash it for actual cash. He didn't have an account at the bank. But, you know, he even said, he was like, I don't know how I'm going to put this 60K on me. But then when he got to the bank, they wouldn't cash it for him because he didn't have an account. Like it was, he, he didn't know. He wasn't, he wasn't part of this world. And by this stage, Cap is being spoken of as an honorary member of Wu right around the time people are questioning Redman status, for example. You know, Cap pops up on Iron Man as well. Then five tracks off Wu-Tang Forever. But it gets all more confusing because he's listed as a feature on those tracks. He's not actually, you know, the rest of the album is just Wu members. They're not listed who performs on each track. But Capadonna, it says featuring Cap. But things were really moving quickly for him at this point. After he popped up on Ice Cream, it was time for him to enter the Wu-Tang world. They wanted him in, in, in this world and they wanted to bring him in. He went on tour with Ray for Only Built for Cuban Links. Um, started recording with the group as if he was part of it. Uh, RZA started up his own record label, Razor Sharp, which was a collab deal with Sony and Epic, and they offered Capadonna uh, an advance to record his first album. Now, you know, things have happened so quickly for Cap that he's actually still living in the same apartment in the projects. He said that he lived there until he was 30. On Mano's podcast, they asked him what that was like, being so famous and successful but still living the projects, and he called himself a ghetto celebrity. He said it was something he didn't recognize at the time, but with distance and perspective, he said he saw himself he saw himself as others saw him, which was an aspirational figure. And I find it another example of um, uh, 
I don't want to use the word humility, but uh, it's almost like when he keeps saying he was honored, it was an honor, you know, to be included in anything woo. You could argue that he was the only member with more acclaim to being part of the group than RZA. You know, Cap was RZA before RZA, and this attitude that he had is is fascinating. I've, I've watched so many interviews with him, and there's no deviation, there's no frustration, there's no anger. There is some disagreements with RZA over money. We'll get to that. Of course there is. There fucking always is. But, like, yeah, man, it's it's, it's fascinating. One note um, on, on this whole thing, though, Cap said that, and I think this is also very true of, of Wu, and I think a lot of people forget this looking back, this was not a manufactured group. He said that they were all brothers and family and the love they showed each other was real and it was genuine and that's why they were so successful. Um, debut album is The Pillage. Uh, gold in two weeks, which Capadonna said earned him a staggering 70k bonus um, but also prompted him to look a little bit more closely at the, his contract. I'll speak on it now and not again because um, I want to talk about this whole thing in a RZA, you know, RZA episode so we're going to get to it. Um, but Cap addresses it calmly and clearly when asking interviews. He said he didn't like the splits and he saw a few things in the publishing that meant he had to have some conversations with RZA, but apparently they handled it and business never came in the way of friendship, that they were entirely separate. But there were certainly times in the late 2000s and early 2010s where Capadonna was in MTV interviews and, you know, really kind of getting into RZA for not sharing the profits of Wu-Tang with him, for the splits being off. Um, and this is where it began. Obviously, it began at his debut album. But the album exploded, man. It came at the absolute perfect time. Hype for Wu-Tang was at its pinnacle at this point. You know, their show-stopping second album. This is the first solo album from an official member after that second record. Um, although, again, his status was still a bit up in the air back then. Uh, but this, this after this record, Wu-Tang Forever... This, this coming so soon after, it had all the Wu-Tang solo album elements. You know, it had RZA, True Master, and Fourth Disciple handling the production. You God, Meth, Ghost, Ray, all feature on here. 132K first week, which is massive. Charted in Canada, Netherlands, Finland, UK, France, Germany. This album, more so than any other, shows the power of Wu. Because from an affiliate at this stage, really... He only appeared on five tracks off their last album. He wasn't featured on their debut for an affiliate to go number three on the Billboard 200 and sell that much. And I say affiliate, in the eyes of the public, he was at that point. We know him to be an OG member. But like, bro, insane. 76 review average, which is a little bit low when you consider the debuts of the other members. And this is a point, man. Listen to these debut uh, arm rankings. 93 for Ray, 86 for Master Killer, 82 ODB, 82 Ghost, 82 Meth, 76 Cap, 74 Deck, 65 RZA, 60 Ugod, 50 Jizza. I mean, that was his first, you know, uh, worst a genius. That was his first album. But, um, look, man, Liquid Swords has an 85. But, like, those debuts from those Wu members just went crazy. And this album was met with criticism from those who weren't really sure what to make of Cap. This is my impression of him. He's not a lyrical assassin like Jizza. He's not on the level of out there delivery like Meth or ODB. He isn't as flamboyant as Ghost or as metronomic as Ray. I think he's a lot more like Rizza as an MC than anyone else. He drops wild fucking bars. You never know what he's going to say next. And that means it's super unpredictable, but at times it's also super low tier. You know, on the title track of this record, you get kind of snippets of sentences, like Cap gives you half a bar, you kind of have to fill the rest in with your mind, you know. Um, you know, it's it, look, 
he's not a great lyricist. He's really not. There are there are flashes where he's really solid. Um, on Run, he says, Crackbacks heavy on the cash all night as a drug site we hung tight. Three o'clock in the night, ounces of blow dirty kicks. Money gets low in the street, yo. Tough times, nickels that's bigger than dimes. You know the flavor, roughneck city. Ain't nothing sweet, kid. Ain't nothing pretty. New York be popping a cork on crime. Look at the nine. Summertime in a courthouse. Oh, shit, it wasn't mine. Like, sometimes you just get these verses from him. It's just like this energy that he has, you know? And I think this introduced us to someone who wasn't going to adhere to any preconceptions. Someone with a story to tell um, and a very unique way of telling it. And... You know, I think that this is easily his best album. It's, it's a great project, but it's not great really because of Cap. Cap Cap was always at his best when he was just popping up and like, you know, offering up like something completely different to everyone else. But um, this was really the only time he managed to keep that together for a whole solo record, in my opinion. This is going to be interesting because, um, as I said in the beginning, we've, we, we, uh, I, did you list the albums I ad- that you allocated to me? Or you just listed yeah, your seven? Some of them, okay. Um, did you listen so to I, the pillage? I did not. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I stayed. I stayed pretty stringent to myself because, uh, yeah. Um, but I get. I mean, I, I mean, it's kind. It's kind of obvious. Um, once, uh, once I look into the details, I'm just like, yeah, I can see that being the best. But um, funny enough, I have, I have my own. Um, but we'll get to that. We get to that. Um, but yeah, you want to hop? Uh, can't hop into the yin and the yang. Um. Which, um, you know, it kind of, uh, on the face of it, um, it's kind of obvious that uh, I can imagine the pillage being the best one because immediately um, you're getting so much difference uh, in studios. So he hit up uh, several studios um, for this album where previously it was just um, Chambers. Um, this is 48 minutes and only 11 tracks, which is kind of interesting. Uh, just, I don't know, just, uh, what the word is, uh, compa- uh contrast. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, you got, you got the, you got the, you know, the ghost face feature, Rayquan feature, but after that, it kind of just goes <laughs> everywhere. Um, production is different. Uh, neon, neon, neonic, um, is apparently the... Uh, majority of the production here, but you also get one from Jermaine Dupri of all people, and mm. uh, and and Debrat's on there as well with a We Know, um, a very Jermaine Dupri song with Debrat on it, and it just so happens to have Capadonna as well. Um, Debrat does a uh, murder that track though. Uh, Revenge has a uh, uh, Inspector Deck uh, production, um, but yeah, past that, uh, you know, True Master on Supermodel with uh, Ghostface, you know, it's fine, it's okay. And um, funny enough, I, I was trying to think of who I hear out of um, what Capitol is doing. I get, I, I don't even get Wu Tang vibes at all, bro. I get, I get, he's, he, he goes off, uh, he kind of gives me Nori vibes, if anything. Um, and just, uh, I think purely just by execution and just delivery. It has this, you know, not a shouty is Nori, not as like barking down the mic, but close. And uh, sometimes the flow just, you know, just just, just goes somewhere, just goes for a walk, you know, <laughs> sometimes. Um, so, yeah, I kind of get Nori vibes from listening to him. Uh, this is the first time, when the first time I listened to him on this. And it was just interesting. I was just like, oh, kind of sounds like Nori, if anything. But, uh, you know, anyway, but, you know. But, yeah, past that, it's, it's really, it's just, uh, yeah, it kind of doesn't, it doesn't feel like 
Wu Tang anything. Um, and I kind of get I kind of get that with a majority of the music that I've listened to from him. Um, where there's some there's there's maybe a, uh, you know kind of the, there's the sample you know the Wu Tang style like sample kind of stuff in some, but really not in most of the most of the work, which is uh, very interesting of how. You know, even listening to like uh, Master Kid or You God, I I felt that still. But with Capadonna, I didn't get that, which is uh, uh you know most of the time, ninety percent of the time, which is very interesting to think about. Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating because uh, it's gonna get worse. <laughs> it's gonna get worse. So we oh, get it gets the struggle for me, but <laughs> well, if it gets worse for me. I mean, the struggle. Look, the struggle dropped the same day as Riz's Birth of a Prince. Uh, things had changed a little bit for Cap by mm. this point. Yin and the Yang went 51 on the Billboard 200, but that was the last time he would ever grace the chart. Um, there's no Riz on this album. This uh, two Wu features, Dak and Ray. And it was released amongst genuine turmoil for Cap. In June 2003, uh, MTV reported that Capadonna was living homelessly. Sorry, living homeless and um, homelessly. I don't think that's a word. Uh, and driving a cab to support his family. I'll read a bit of it. It says, 11 months ago, Cap, who was on the outs with his wife, gave up many of his worldly possessions and decided to take pilgrimages on the payment. Uh, I was actually living in the street, he said. Um, It was by choice, but it was more a way of me rebelling against the materialistic world. Now, I listened to an interview. I think it was with... It might have been on People's Party. And he basically said to his wife, he gave her a choice. He said, look, I don't want to live with this like uh, materialistic world, I want to live in it anymore. And he said, let's go live somewhere else. Let's go do something else. And she said, no, I don't want to do that. And so he left her everything. He left her the cars, the house, the money, and he just went and lived on the street. So it was totally by choice. Um, And, you know, we get this album, you know. Eventually they would reconcile, by the way, and, and move on, move back in with each other. But I do actually remember this in the back in the day. I didn't know really who Capadonna was back in 2003, 2004. I was very, very young. But people talked about it. People definitely talked about it. It was a thing. Um, but this record, man, this is the other side of, of Cap's lyrical persona. He speaks on the struggle in order to educate and motivate. His energy is infectious and vibrant. I'm not going to lie. But um, this album does suffer the same fate as his debut. It's wildly inconsistent. There's a track on here I won't repeat the name of, but it's deeply homophobic. On I Don't Even Know You, he raps this, and Charlie said that I did have to say this out on wax, and oh, I will say it. Oh, fucking yes. Do it. <laughs> fucking with the ill hoes that eat doo-doo. Dressed up Manhattan style walking the poodle. They put period blood inside the noodle. Noodle. <laughs> what? I mean, look, man. If that's your thing, that's your thing. You like people that eat doo-doo, then... But yeah, I don't think you need to publicize that. That's not something. I think they can keep that in your back pocket, you know. But it's not something you need to tell people about. But anyway, um, he told MV Remix two things about this album, and I'll quote him. He said, "Riz is not on here because he didn't want to be on here," which is I found interesting. And about the title, he said it's self-explanatory. Anything that requires you busting your ass in trying to get to the next level requires a struggle. If you're looking for a victory, you have to work hard and struggle to get that. Is it a good album? Not really. You know, I think Blood Brothers and Killer Killer Hill are the standouts, but most of the rest of the album is pretty low tier. You know, now that we're moving further and further away from Wu, we're moving further and further away from quality is what we're finding out. 
And what about the capitalized project, Ben? Well, that's next, right? Like, I completely screwed that up, right? Because that's his next yeah. studio. Okay, I, I messed that up. Gave me, yeah, I was wondering why you gave yourself uh, two, two uh, afters, but fine. It's cool. Do you? I'm glad that you, I'm cook, glad you picked up on it. I'm glad you cook. picked up on it. Look, the first few tracks in this project, I think, are the best Cap music we've ever got solo since his debut album. Um, it hit me really hard. Cap's back again in the anointing of real fire songs, man. It had me really excited for this project. Uh, I see him, again, so similar to RZA, such a capable rapper on his day. And he says stuff no one else is going to say, but we only get glimpses. And the same is true of this project again. I certainly feel like on this record, more so than any other, he's addressing what happened in the early 2000s, homelessness, driving cabs, that epic Malcolm X sample to open the album, and Cap comes in hot on that first track. You know, it's autobiographical in a way that Cap rarely is, because he's very open on wax, but often it's so left field it's really hard to relate. Uh, But on this record, he seems to make a concerted effort to appeal to his listeners. We still get self-contained bars, you know. Sometimes we get self-contained half bars. On the anointing, he raps, I ain't trying to catch another case. Up on the tour bus, three-door unit, entrepreneur status, the biggest, baddest, family matters, weed blowing, listening to Gladys, soul babies with the 18 carat, smash BB Kings. Like, it's like there's this like, uh, 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 like this start, stop, start, stop. And, you know, around this time was when Cap was having his financial issues with RZA. Um, and again, that's going to be a whole episode. But like, you know, he was he was starting to build in other areas of his life. And that's what I do think is in- important about Cappadonna. It's not necessarily always about the music, although it is about the music. He loves and he will always release music. Um, but he created this Better Life movement. And he basically said, and I'll, I'll quote him, um, I'm trying to find the best part of this quote. He said, I didn't want to base it upon one part of life. It's everything. You might just need a big brother and we have somebody right there you can call to give you some big brother advice. My number is available for contact on MySpace if somebody really want to reach out for certain inquiries. And look, this ties in heavily with the album, Growth and Development, which actually used the same sample as I Do by Jeezy. That was really through me. Um, Cap is speaking on advancing himself and those around him. On Dream, we get that Martin Luther King sample with Cap emoting about what his hopes and dreams are for himself, using that to inspire the people around him. Um, It's low tier for Wu-Tang solo albums. It's probably his best album aside from The Pillage for me. But again, like it's just like there's one or two decent stretches and then the rest is just low, low tier. Like It's it's a tough Mm. listen at times. Mm. Um, So... Literally a year, uh, uh, well, not not even a year, not even a year after, uh, drops a uh, slang prostitution, and you'd think by the name it wouldn't be a great album, but honestly, I think this is the best album from what I listen to. Um, just straight off the back, off, um, off of the spoken words uh, tracks he has in the beginning, middle, and end, all called "You Can't Keep a Good Man Down." Um, past two and three, obviously uh, below. Um, but let me leave you the first one because honestly, actually, uh, <laughs> this is what made me interested in Cap's story more than anything because I was just like, damn, this is this is actually like a lot of uh, kind of like a soul bearing, I guess. But he goes, um, yo, you can't keep a good man down. I've been through it all. I step on the ground. Even my best friend turned they back. And my label mate brothers wasn't cutting me no slack. Nobody give, gave a shit. They wasn't even checking for cap. Taking my kindness for weakness. People this peep this the weak shit. Seeing my songs, putting them out on the sneak tip. Label can never hold me. The devil can't slave me. I'm thankful for everything that God gave me. I never really want shit, but I'm happy I done shit. I hope to keep not my. 
Hope to keep my life free from the guns and clips. Plus, I'm still trying to get mama out of the bricks. Come on now, tell me that you're praying for me. You should have known that Christ was staying with me. Win or lose, adding on to life, uh, be the life I choose. I used to sell crack. Now I'm on the. Now I'm just dropping the jewels. Why has life got to be so hard? Why the street trying to leave me scarred? Why is everybody looking for God? I had to leave Park Hill. I'm a traveling man. I don't stay in one spot. That's why I travel the land. Whether I get a deal or not, I must still deal with the block. Your buyers trying to steal my spot, duplicate my music, take my slang, take cheap shots at me while I'm doing my thing. I'm more close with my seeds, a little older now. I learn to forgive. While you're kicking, uh, kicking dirt on Don, I'm building a bridge. Treading through the waters, you thought I would drown, but you can't keep a good man down. It's just, and think of that, but just purely a cappella with a little bit of echo on it, and you've got it. It's really fucking good, and it actually just brings into the whole of the album where, um, you know, it's kind of just capped on the tracks um, for for, uh, for better or worse. You know, hustle and flow is very interesting, but it kind of has just this really repetitive um, hook that I'm not really into. Um, but you know, especially just the you can't keep a good man down. Just the spoken word on those are really fucking great. But uh, you know, you have master uh, master kid on fire. Um, and then you have a couple of uh, Raekwon on Life's a Gamble, actually, was really good. Um, but yeah, this, this, this is just a lot of good shit. There is really a lot of good stuff on this album. And it's it's probably the only album where I'm just like, there wasn't really a track that really made me go, mm, okay, all right, cool. Um, it was None of that. None of that. I just really, really actually enjoyed listening to it. There wasn't, um, you know, and this is a funny, this is a fun fact, like, <laughs> this is 2009, and we've still got so we've still got more than half of his discography left, which is so fascinating. Of having mm. someone that started in '98 and you know dropped a few albums in the 2000s, uh, full specifically, but after that, it's it's all 2011 onwards, man, and that's crazy to think about. But yeah, um, I feel like the pillage and the pilgrimage and the struggle uh, kind of just makes things confusing because I keep forgetting which album's which. By the way, um, but anyway. Yeah, the pilgrimage. Uh, that's your pro- that's your issue to uh, to deal with. So, <laughs> well, this was a return sonically to um, that kind of Wu Tang era. You know, I can't find oh, the producer list anywhere actually, but the fact that's that true. Deck is on a couple of tracks makes me think there was at least some Wu Tang influence on the production side. Maybe Deck himself produced some of these tracks. Um, in the interview with Hip Hop DX, uh, they mentioned the fact that it actually sounded like the pillage sonically which is obviously his debut, and Cap said this, I find that people could be really, really critical of you on all counts and levels, but I just feel like I'm doing what I've always done. It's just a matter of people being able to grow with you or change with you or being able to identify with some of the things you go through and how you express it. If somebody don't have no experience or never experienced, they might not catch on until five years later. So everybody's catching up to me. I've always been ahead of my game. I've always been on point. The most I ever fell off point is when I tried to adhere and do what everyone else wanted me to do, trying to make things to please other people. That was my first, my worst downfall right there because you can never please everybody, so I just keep doing what I do. Now, I don't think that's too far from the truth from Cap's career. Um, my issue is that Cap is not consistent. You know, On a track like Good Wine, he's appealing to his previous life and the people still caught up in it. It's really focused. But then we get straight up trash garbage like Honeys Look Good, Hoodie Hoodpecker, which has to be the worst mixed track in Wu-Tang history. That is just, I don't know what is going on with the mix on that. It's horrendous. Um, For You is really poor too. But there's bangers like Cuban Link Kings and really heartfelt tracks like Trials and Tribulations. 
And again, this album came amongst Wu-Tang turmoil because Cap was back on the outer at this point. Hip Hop DX asked him about the fact that he wasn't included in Wu-Tang ventures during this period, and Kappa said this, um, that's just a matter on how they judge me. It's like, they only say God can judge, but it's like I've sat down in front of my brothers with them at one end of the table and me at the other end of the table deciding on whether or not I was down with the clan or whether or not I should be getting paid an equal share. Just mad different discrepancies coming up over and over again. I mean, even Ghostface Killer this year ramped and raged on two or three different occasions about why the majority of the clan is not understanding or not seeing that I've been part of this shit since day one. And he's been voicing that for a while. It's different when I voice it. It's just something that I should do. But when you've got someone else voicing it within the clan, that right there raises questions. Now, he said he wasn't being booked as part of the shows, nor was he even in the studio with them. This inner turmoil in Wu-Tang is vibrantly apparent when we speak of members like Cappadonna, and they get left out in the cold repeatedly. His issues with RZA didn't seem to resurface financially, but if you recall back to the Capitalized Project, he actually said on that song, on one of those songs, that Ray wasn't returning his calls. You know, Deck is on this album, and during the interview, Cap speaks on his close relationship to Deck, but that's it. And it's sad, and I do want to make a quick point about that, and I think this is a, a, like maybe the key point to the Wu-Tang solo discographies, you know, these members that we aren't defining as the A-tier, right? Part of what made those classic Wu solo albums classic is the cameos from Wu members. Now, name me a classic Wu solo album without at least two other Wu members. I can't. Oh, I, I can't. Swarm one of the Master Killer ones did, but it was good, but oh, I forget. Yeah, but it's not a classic. It's, like, it's, it's not hard to think, sure. Yeah, all right. It's not That's Supreme fine. Clientele. You know, it's not only built for Cuban links. It's not like you, you don't say, oh, you know, that Master Killer album is on the same level as Liquid Swords. How you do know, you? look, I love Master Killer, but it's just not, it's not, it's not the same. And it's difficult for members like Capadonna to come on, even with Fire Production. And what he has to do is compete with Ghost and Ray and Jizza and Rizza who had the f- and Meth, who had the full force of the Wu behind them. Like, that's what he's doing. He's not competing with other rappers. He's competing with other Wu-Tang members because that's what he's being judged against. He's part of the Wu-Tang clan. So every time a Wu-Tang solo co- album comes out, he's competing against Iron Man and Supreme Clientele and Takal and, like, all these other, these classic, iconic albums and especially when he dips back into this sonic bag, it's great. It means that the production is like, you know, pulls you back into that that headspace. But you get halfway through the album, and you're like, I'm just gonna go listen to Raekwon. I'm not gonna listen to this. And that's the challenge. And I think it's it's unfair. You know, it's it's an unfair thing that he has to deal with. Yeah, and but on on some on some level, I. Like bro, we're the same prostitution. Like it said, I'm I'm going off Wikipedia just to be you know, uh, just to be honest and full disclosure. But you know, for some of these, it says produced by Digim Tracks Productions, um, Blaster Beats. Like, bro, like, it 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 comes off as just like I'm trying to think of it. In, I'm thinking of it in two ways, and I don't know which one to go for, but. Is just how my mind's splitting up right now. So it's uh, so it's on the side of Cap, where he's like you're saying, just not being, uh, not being brought in to the group, so to speak, right? Um, but on the other side, I'm just like, 
after the after the first album, he didn't really have much Wu Tang production anyway. So was that his? Was that did he want more Wu Tang production? Did he want Wu Tang production throughout all of the ten he years said, that we've been talking about in 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 the in the encapsulation of his career so far? He so, said the only reason RZA wasn't on that album was because RZA didn't want to be on the album. Like he says okay. on on Capitalized Project, Raekwon wasn't from... returning his calls. Okay, well. There's nine other members, so what's the what's the what's the deal? And what do then you mean? and then you, you know you hop, hopping on like if 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 Cap wanted if Cap was like um just this on the face of it he looks very independent, right? Um and that's all well and good, fine. If he goes down that route, he goes down that route, and he obviously did go down that route for a majority of this work. Um, but I feel I don't know whether you're, if you're asking for if. if if you're asking for Wu, um, ed- some Wu addition or some Wu spice to the to the to the pot, right? Then, like you said, you know they're all individuals. So <laughs> why 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 am I why am I seeing you know, uh, not uh, not no no diss to lounge low or anything, but you know why am I seeing lounge low on on, on, a, on a track and not Raekwon or whatever? Like it, it's it's there sometimes, you know, for uh, most of the albums, but it's not overt. And is that a case of, I don't know, speculation here? But um, maybe it's from like a kind of like a socialist standpoint, where it's just like, do you provide, do you provide enough, um, to warrant that, in terms of worth, like, because. Like you've been saying for most of this episode, we'll ch- we'll 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 take a cap verse, we'll take a master killer verse, but wh- what do we really want? We want ghost, we want Ray, we want Jizza. I want Deck. Some people don't. We'll check that at some point <laughs> in the later in the later episode. But yeah, nobody wants to check for cap. So if he doesn't provide that worth, then. And that's no, and that's no disrespect to him. It's just how people have seen it. So, why had why have him on? Why bring him into the studio? You know what I mean? And I get that. I I I know how disrespectful it sounds, because it is. But I'm just seeing it as I'm trying to see it in how I don't know maybe a purely logical, purely numbers based person would see that. It's just but like see, that's you not you don't. He that, doesn't move the needle basically. That's not woo. I mean, Wu, as as Cap himself said, it was family, and we've heard the stories of these people. They came up together, and sure. like, it it's not about. It never seemed to be about. And the only person I feel, and this is this is the criticism Riz is going to come in for. The only person I feel pulling strings on a business side is Rizza. I don't see any of the other Wu Tang members making like really weird, like razor edge decisions that are just cutting people out of the group or cutting people out of funding or cutting people out of the AT. I mean, RZA had his favorites and they were right. Ray, Ghost, ODB, Jizza, Meth. And, and funny enough, those are most people's favorites, quote unquote. So. But my whole point is, are they most people's favorite because RZA identified them as being the best and so he threw his resources behind them because if he'd thrown his resources behind You God, Master Killer, Deck, Cappadonna... They would never have hit as hard. I mean, 
Capadonna released an album that went number three on the Billboard 200 and charted worldwide. He sold 132k first week, and he never ever achieved that anywhere near that again because RZA was not involved ever again. Like, then we're getting into this whole like, what is RZA the only one who can define whether you're going to succeed as a Wu solo member? Like. I don't know, man. This is complex. It's very complex. But I do think that artists like Capadonna get... They just get relegated. And I don't think it's by choice in Capadonna's... I mean, we know. We're going to talk about Deck at some point. And we already know that You God and Master Killer... They didn't... Like, Master Killer especially, he didn't criticize RZA. You know, his debut album came out in, what, like, 04? Something crazy like that. He said he was building. He was He was working. But I've definitely read things that Deck have, has said, like, there's an A tier and there is a B tier, and we were not in the A tier, which meant that we were not a pri- primary focus for RZA, and that meant that we were commercially out in the cold. And I think that that's... Look, I'm not I'm not advocating for Capadonna being on the same level as, as Jizza. God, no, I'm not saying that at all. But um, I think that he definitely provides something, and mm-hmm. that something has just been stretched to infinity because... He's had to do it entirely himself, and that's difficult, you know. And I think it's natural that we'd be saying these albums just don't sound as good as albums that RZA touched. Yeah, well, when there's smoke, when there's smoke, you know what I mean. That's a, mm. And I got that through the documentary. There was like a bit where I don't know they were just tiptoeing over controversy, and I'm just like, wait, what was that? <laughs> what, guys, what was that? Like, you know, speak freely, guys. So what's up? I don't know. It's but yeah, when there's smoke, there's fire, bruv. Like that's, that's all I'm saying. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, let me jump in there for the fire right quick. It's uh, not through his albums. Um, honestly, <laughs> like this is this is where it dips for me because funny enough, it's a two disc car. It's 28 tracks. The first half is fine. The second half is kind of just I I I don't know. It kind of just went out of my head and it was really weird. And it's listed on Spotify as two albums. There's a part one and part two. You can go listen to part one if you want. Part one's fine. Part one's cool. Um, part two, however, I don't know. It just get it just goes out the window. It's just it feels like there's songs with just zero meaning. Um, it just I don't know. It just gives off a I don't know. It just it gives off a just mixtape kind of vibe. Where it's like yeah, let's do it. some it's some raps. You know, let's do it if you want. If you don't, fine. But like you know. Pull your life together on uh part one's fine. Rap is like crack. God forgive me for my sins. Um, you know, apart from maybe Children of Israel, which I wasn't really into. Um yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. Part one's good, but part two just goes out the fucking window. <laughs> as soon as I press play, I'm just like, oh, this is lower than lower than the first part. Why is that? That's weird. But yes, yeah, it's, it's it's kinda weird how the quality just dips on the second half. Like it's it's really overt for me. It's really overt. Yeah, I mean, then we get hook off. Um, look, this is similar to the Meth Lab joints, for example. Cat brings on a whole bunch of rappers. Oh, it. no. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, <laughs> oh, now, according to Cap, though, this is the first yeah, hip-hop sure. album in history with no hooks. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, that would have been a cool hip-hop numbers fact back in the day, but, God, you would never be able to. You'd have to define it in some way. And for just, like, a peek behind the curtain... If a rapper said, like, I once got asked by a, a prominent rapper, how many rappers are there in the U.S. currently? 
And I said, well, we can look at, you know, rappers charting or the number of rappers, blah, blah. Like, there's, you have to put a parameter on it. And they said, no, just the amount of people in America rapping. And I said, that's impossible. And it's the same with this. You can't possibly say, and this is just like me being like semantics, you cannot ever say this is the first album in hip-hop history without hooks because like you can't possibly know that and it's very, very, very unlikely to be true. And if it is true, it's only true by chance. You've only happened upon that record, but I doubt very much that that is true. But um, look, man, this is a standard cap album with features who aren't that great on it. And I'll, I'll run through his, the next two. I don't have to say anything. Like, Ear Candy, Show Me The Money, they're the same. They're not the same as this hook-off. They're just standard cap albums. It's there's no. I don't know what else to say about cap at this point. Like... He is making music that is sounds the same every single project, and he's not really saying anything new or exciting or different. Um, if you've heard one Cap album in the 2010s, you've heard every Cap album since then. It's it's pretty generic. Yeah, um, I mean, you tell us me about the, the the one with the cover art though, Charlie. That oh, that cover art that. was some I'll shit. I'll get to it. Um, but yeah, you blessed me with the pillage too. Um, and there was like this moment uh, throughout Cap's discography. I don't know if you got it as well, where he kept like saying like Staten Africa and stuff like that. And it was kind of I was kind of interested in that in that element of what he was getting at. Um, sometimes when he was in in this subject matter, um, I didn't mind stuff like uh, uh, Fifty Two Blocks, uh, Black Woman was uh interesting but then there's stuff like clap if you hustle right afterwards and it's just not good the claps are weird i don't know how you make claps weird but the claps are weird um but yeah and, and you know tell the truth with jay rush and lazy bone um but yeah i liked raven hair i like black woman 52 blocks there's some it's the thing there's good tracks but there's just a whole lot of mid in the middle um and and, ra- and wrap around it and then Oh, what do I have afterwards? Black is beautiful. Oh yeah. Um, God damn. Like uh, okay, so there's there's plenty of names throughout it, and it kind of just gives off this collaborative album essence. Not kind of meth, not totally meth lab, uh, uh, you know, vibes, but nearly uh, with this uh, big Nate All Star and PB PBS Skins, uh, uh, according to Spotify here, um, and some other. Uh, 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 Features, but yeah, it kind of—I don't know. Honestly, it kind of just went. It went by very quickly. Um, you know, for, as much as forty-three minutes and twelve songs can do for you. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just kind—it of, kind of just—it kind of just blended into nothingness for me. And then the go- the goat, the goat that is Black Tarzan with two R's and two N's for some fucking reason with the worst artwork of all time. I'm sorry, that's probably the worst artwork I've ever seen. Um, but beside that, um, there were, what I do like, well, <laughs> uh, think of it, the, I mentioned that there's not met, not much of Wu-Tang elements, um, you know, just even in, regardless if there's Wu-Tang people in it, right, but even with that, you still get Wu-Tang essence, like I said, with stuff like Masked Killer's work or whatever, right, um, you get mentions of it, and Cap does mention it, you know, a few times, so, you know, fucking with the Wu, stuff like that, um, but, Oh my gosh! It's it's kind of instead of instead of um, who's my Wu Tang style? You know, instead of all those samples, you get jungle noises instead. 
You're just hearing, you're just hearing, you're just hearing lions and shit at the start of every track. And then he goes into stuff. Um, oh gosh, oh gosh, I wish I could have the lyrics um, to cancel culture. <laughs> oh, oh gosh, give that a listen, guys. Oh, that was fascinating. Um, uh, also, uh, life on welfare. Uh, fucking hell, like, yeah, Mama, can you hear me? While that was very heartfelt, it was so repetitive. I was wondering if it was a verse coming, and a verse never quite came. It was really weird. Um, so yeah, uh, it, it, I don't know, man. I can't. <laughs> it just it, it it got very exhausting by the end of last uh, once it passed the twenty tens. I was very impressed with something like slang prostitution, which had a lot of depth and a lot of uh, you know good stuff in there. But um, you know, it kind of it it just it just blended into. You know, just cat barring, and you know, while while I respect that overall, the fact that he can just constantly put out stuff, and he has been consistently putting out stuff. Again, I have, n- I I don't know what I would be, what I would want to hear from him, if anything, at this point that I haven't heard now, I haven't heard before. Um, well, I will say, I think in an an overall point, I feel like. I feel like Capadonna has this, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know if it's like humility, right, when he's, when he's, when he, when, he, when you're mentioning the interviews and, uh, and, and the quotations, it kind of gives off the essence of he's fine where he is, right, but then we had a, practically a whole conversation about, uh, you know, A tier, B tier, whatever, and favourites and all this stuff, right, which I'm convinced there is, by the way. Um, uh, you know, whether they want to say it or not, you know, some, some of them do, some of them don't, but you know, when they're smoking this fire, like I said, but when it comes to Capadonna, right, I feel like there's an, there's, there's an essence of, uh, not what could have been or anything like that, but, um, you can bring the boy, you can bring the boy in, you know, like, (laughs) just to have him, I don't know, just, just, just war for like these for war to go to war just to get these albums out and to get these albums done, and you know, uh, objectively bring in people that aren't exactly known, um, and and you know, I I think I like to believe he's you know, um, artistically, uh, evolving for himself, and I hope he is. Um, I personally don't see it, um, but each to their own. Uh, yeah, I just, I just, I just think um, the story is fascinating, but the music itself is um, just, uh, it's just, it's just meddling. <laughs> it's just meddling a lot of the time. You know, there's some good energy in some of it, but then you listen to the bars and that kind of. There's always something to throw you off. Um, it's never perfect, and you know, while I can admire admire imperfections in people's music, it's just, it's just, it's just mid boom back, bro. Like most of the time, and it doesn't really switch up from there, and it's kind of disappointing. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Um, but shout out to Capadonna in general. Um, I'm trying to, th- I'm trying to rack my brain, bro, because you're mentioning the fact that they didn't involve him in some stuff. And I'm trying to think if he actually turned up for if he if he was in the squad when I saw them live in 2019. I can't. I, I and this is probably bad on my part. 
right? Pardon me to blame for my memory, but I don't know if he was there or not. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know. I know I there was nine, and one of them was OD, ODB's son. So do the math. Um, I don't think he was there. Now I'm thinking about it. So, yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate in some ways, but uh, in a, in the other way, I'm just like, yeah, the music's there, and you get what you're given, and what we're given is, eh. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating story because it is. It is. Yes, he was. You know, RZA, as RZA said, he was the most influential. He was the RZA before RZA, and then he don't, don't went hate away. him up like he is, don't it? <laughs> I mean, he's not been given the uh, times I mean, change. Look, it's all going to come back to RZA at some point. That episode is going to be fascinating. The more I read about this, the more I learn about this. Um, you getting Diddy vibes yet? Not, not, not as bad as Diddy. Come on not now. As bad. I'm, Although I'm Diddy just asking. Co- did call I'm just asking. Diddy. I'm just asking. Diddy did call them the family, and he did not treat his family the way that you should treat family. That was a bit weird. But um, no, it's fascinating. Look, Cappadonna's, Cappadonna's discography is uh, is low tier. It, someone said the other day on Twitter, um, who's better, Master Killer or Cappadonna? And a bunch of people were replying with Cappadonna because of his verses on um, Only Vilt for Cuban there Links and Iron Man. That's what I'm saying. You guys don't listen to the actual fucking solos. And that's, that's the problem. Doing it. That's why we're doing it. That's the this. problem. That's the and then I replied, like... I replied. I said, "You haven't listened to like I can't have yeah, a conversation with you." Spinning like me, get on my level. I can't. I cannot have a conversation with someone who puts Capadonna above Master Killer. It's, <laughs> it's just like you have no idea what you're talking about. Like it's just silliness. So, Capadonna, I think, might have the worst. So- I mean, he does. He has the worst solo discography. Objectively, he does. Objectively, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Like I, I, even I was, worse than I was, you got. I, yeah, halfway halfway there, I was like, okay, if he keep if he keeps this up, um, then you know, then then the fact that they, then it'll warrant so many projects afterwards, but it just keeps getting watered down. It's 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 it keep the quality keeps diluting every time I press play. I was just like, no, don't do it. <laughs> it just keeps going and going. So yeah, yeah, yeah. objectively, it's uh, the worst solo it's got. Yeah, I, think we can I mean that's that. that's the cap that's the cap story right there. His story but is fascinating. Quite an interesting story, nevertheless. Yes, very much so. Anyway, we shall end there and finish off with a lighter note. If you have anything, Ben. My notes are ne- never lighter. Not at the moment. Um, <laughs> look, man, I just basically what I just said at the end there is my little rant for the day. Is I don't know how to have conversations with you people on the internet. I just don't because you don't know what you're talking about. And like, that's okay. I don't know what I'm talking about, about heaps of shit, but I don't lead with my chest when I don't. I don't come in on chesty, get my chest hair out, get all fiery and aggressive like it's imba- this take is embarrassing because I'm not a fucking moron. And yesterday was particularly ridiculous with people coming in and justifying Drake's album sales on the fact that it's a dance album and that he's never made a dance song before, even though one of his songs is literally called One Dance and it's his most popular song ever. But, I mean, it's just a, it's just indicative of, you know, I did the Etherverse takeover video the other day and people were coming in there and hammering me about not respecting hip-hop culture. And at first I was like, did you listen? Did you watch the video? And they didn't. They didn't watch a video. But secondly, I said to them, what part of hip-hop culture are you defending right now? 
Are you defending the homophobia? And they'd be like, no, 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 but it was a different time. Like, blah, blah, blah. This is disrespectful to hip-hop culture. And I'm like, what part? Because they said Ether is an incredible diss track. And Jay-Z took a massive L. But he did not need to say the homophobia. It was totally unnecessary. Like, I, I can't have conversations with people anymore on, on social media. I'm starting to realize that. And it's it's difficult because I want to cultivate a community experience. I had someone in my DMs telling me that the reason that Ether was so great and the reason Nas had to say what he said was because he believed Jay-Z was bisexual and Nas was attacking Jay-Z's credibility because Jay-Z said he was this real rapper, but he wasn't being honest about his sexuality. And I said, that actually makes it even worse what Nas said. It's way worse because he's creating an environment that's unsafe for people who are bisexual to come out and then criticizing people for not coming out. I said, that's a horrible, that's not cool, that's not acceptable. And this person just didn't, they couldn't get their head around it, didn't understand it. And I want to have these conversations with these people, but I have no idea, I, I'm, it, my, I can feel my brain seeping out of my ears and pooling on the floor and just hardening to a level that I can never get it back in there. I've lost brain cells having these conversations. And it's just a little bit of a rant. Like, the Drake dance music thing is just bananas to me. Everyone coming out and telling me that this is a dance album. Yes, it is a dance album, but that doesn't tell me anything about the genre whatsoever. It just tells me that it's made for dance. That's cool. <laughs> but don't... And, and the problem is that people... And I said... It, someone said it yesterday. said um, I think it was Jar Talks Music said, why, why can't people form their own opinion, right? And I said, it is very difficult to express your opinion on Twitter. And immediately, someone quote tweeted it with, no, it is not. And I replied, I'm like, is this a parody? Like, but they didn't have the, they didn't have the intelligence to figure out what I meant by asking if it was a parody. They were like, no, it's easy to tell your opinion on Twitter. You're wrong. I'm like, fam, are you fucking insane? What are we doing here? Like, that's, you know what I mean? That's when I had to log off. That is great. That's when I had to log off. Like, anyway, that is the that's thick, just... that is the thick of it. Like levels of satire. Like it's it is literally, like because in 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 your own way you're a fool for do, for saying that because it's social media, bro. Like it doesn't need to be said that everyone has an opinion, and they're gonna and some people throw it on Twitter, some people don't, right? And uh, the fact that he came with no, <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. Okay, just for the on the on the Drake on the dance music tip, um, yeah, you know, after I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not a dance historian in any means, but obviously that's literally saying, um, yeah, it, it's it, like what is it? So here's the 2010s genres. Yeah. Uh, in the dance music Wikipedia, electropop, synth, glitch pop, hip house, new disco, new wave, new rave, trance house, high energy, hard energy, dance pop, electro industrial, deep house, drum and bass, dubstep, tech step, liquid funk, electro house, glitch house, progressive house, break beat, hard style, dub style, drum step, hip hop, apparently that's dance music, Hit, uh, ghetto house, jersey club, trap drill, apparently, Moombaton. Moombaton, apparently, uh, uh, derived of house music and reggaeton. Who knew? Uh, Moombacore, I'm learning today. Um, Dancehall, Tropical House, UK Garage, uh, Europop, and Hyperpop. 
Um, so you know, what, 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 I I'm Tom definitely listens to the Drake album. So you know, take your pick. If you want to use those, go for it. Um, but if not, that's fine too, because none of this matters, really. None, none of this matters. Um, you know, I, I like. Uh, you know, we we've talked about we've had an episode on labels before, and you know, in the end of the day, like. You know, people use labels to just help with. I I I use it to help with discovery, right? It just helps when you when I say, you know, this gives off scissor vibes. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's not a label, but it just helps. It helps with discovery. This gives me. Uh, this is a jazz album. I say that a lot, but what the fuck does that mean, right? Mm-hmm. Is it is it hard bop? Is it is it smooth jazz? Is it cool jazz? Uh, acid is it jazz. Is, is it is it acid jazz? Is it jazz hop? What is it? So you know, I do that. I'm I'm culprit to this as as well, um, and that's just due to me being supremely basic with my knowledge of jazz and uh, which which you know subgenres defer it. But at the but at the same time, it's not that important. Um, because it help while it helps you, while it helps all of us, you know, be uh, uh, carve out a niche in our individualistic tendencies to like to for me to like chill hop and to and for Ben to like prog rock or uh, or, or ambient, um, you know, is up to us to actually give a shit about. At the end of the day, um, whatever you consider Drake's album to be, um, as long as we all agree it's mid, and then we're fine. And on that note, we shall leave it there. We're on the Fifth Podcast Network. <laughs> this has been Digging Digits. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've been trying to say the Fifth I've been Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. Hope you all have a good week. We shall always, always try and do the same. But until next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me, music for the show. It's a piece of video games for bonus points. Thanks to Chill Prickers for beer to use. Socials with Feminine. Hip Hop by Numbers, bonus points, and Chill Prickers being a full show notes, as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a FIFM podcast production. Thanks for spending time with us. I'll just see you next time. I'm digging in Digits.